0: Welcome back to Metastation for our podcast on episode 407, Gimme Shelter. I'm Erin. I'm an English professor in Mississippi.
1: I'm Claire. I'm a
0: writer in Portland, Oregon. And we are going to start out as we have been, I think, almost every episode, actually, on Science Island. So over on Science Island,
1: there were kind of two separate storylines going on in which Clark was an instrumental part of both of them. And one story is really about Amori and one story is really more about Abby and kind of implicitly off screen Raven and Luna. So, so Amori, this is hands down, I think my favorite ever Amori episode. Oh
0: yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Especially because the fake out of the end, I did not see coming. When you rewatch the episode again, you can kind of see like, it's so, God, like the writing, the writing in this episode was so good. There were all these little places where like watching the episode again a second time, you could see the seeds being planted that she was running a con the whole time. But so subtly that it looked a normal amount of fishy by Amori standards the whole time which is just that it was inevitable that she was going to perceive herself as being the person that was the most at risk it was inevitable that her response was going to be like let's pack our shit up and go but the twist that everything that she told everyone was true except for the most important part which is that this isn't that guy yeah this really is just a random guy who smashed the window and came in to steal some food for his kids the way, when I went back, and I, so I re- I've i seen it now three times. I watched it twice today because I was just like, there's so many like little details to pick up. And every time he starts to explain, like, I'm not this person. I don't know you. I don't know who you think that I am. I just came for the food. That's when she punches him. Anytime he starts to say something that could potentially give her away, give away the fact that he has no idea who she is. Yep.
0: Before he can give too much detail. Before he can be too uh, persuasive. Yeah, and that's when she
1: ramps up her story. That's when she dials up the tears. That's when she, like, goes after him. And as a con, it's flawlessly executed. Mm-hmm. Because, and she plans little things. Like, she tells, you know, Clark, like, he'll say anything. He will <laughs> tell you any lie to get, you know, like, she she plants the seeds of disbelief. All of these things. And it's somebody that Murphy has heard her talking about before like Murphy knows exactly who Bayliss is when she says Bayliss he's like oh my god yeah so Murphy's implicit belief that this guy is a total monster who tortured Amori is completely convincing to Clark and then she eventually comes clean to Murphy as a grifter con it's impeccably well constructed even though it is dark as hell yeah. but it also I think What's really beautiful about it in terms of kind of how it fits into the story is that she's lying and she's not at the same time. Like we, we do get our first kind of real deep look into her past and her pain and the forces that shaped her. And that this was a real person who did do terrible things to her. Like the, that that side of who she is in those stories that she told Murphy that we're getting
0: some, some context. Right. Like all of that stuff did happen to her. It's just not that guy who did it.
1: Exactly. But like the emotional truth is there. And and when she and the little altercation that she has with and we talked about this before, like, like, it's always so satisfying watching characters not fall under Clark's spell, like people who are not convinced by her who are not persuaded by her who do not think that she is special, who she has to sort of pull out every trick in the book to convince them to do what she wants them to do. And then this, you know, and the irony here is that she's being played the whole time, even when she thinks that she's solved the problem. But the really heartbreaking little exchange that they have, where Amore tells her, like, you were loved, like, you were special, you were like, you know, you had a a safe childhood, you were happy, you had two parents, like that that little reminder that we get that Clark has a thing, and Selena Wilkin mentioned this in her Hypeable review too, like, Clark has a thing that almost no other character on this show has, which is that she grew up in a safe home. The environment on the Ark... It was a super fucked up society, but like in the little microcosm of like the Griffin household, you know, like she had two parents who loved each other, who loved her. She had friends. She had a social life. She went to school. She was a good student. And so there's this implicit level of familial stability that she like many children of privilege kind of takes for granted and certainly where they all are now it feels like okay well that's like miles in the past you know but it shaped her like that's what made her who she is and so Amori saying please don't pretend like you have any concept of what it's like to be somebody who isn't you was I felt like well the really important kind of reminder for Clark of the gap between her and the people that she sometimes is trying to persuade to do the things that she needs them to do, and not understanding why they don't want to just automatically concede and do those things, why she has to be persuasive. But also a really devastating look into the initial forces and world framework and beliefs that shaped Amori into this person who just deeply and profoundly does not believe that anyone is to be trusted.
0: Yeah. Who always believes that anyone around her at any moment could turn, could and will turn on her eventually, but she's not ever really truly a part of a group. She's loyal to her. Who's loyal to her. She will always be kind of an outcast. It's interesting. I think, her dynamic with Murphy in this episode, because she, he cannot be in on the con, right? He Because she needs to manipulate him to react in a certain way to make it work. You know, she needs him to think that this is this guy that she's told him about. So she's playing him, too. And she doesn't immediately tell him the truth. They were standing up there watching it the whole time. There's clearly been a lot of time that passed. You know, when he asked her if she's going to kill him, she kind of considers for a moment, and then she tells him. Which raises some interesting questions about trust within their relationship. Irrefutably, I think she trusts Murphy more than anybody else on Earth.
1: But by Amore standards, yeah,
0: and and I, yeah, I wonder that too because there was
1: there was two moments, and that was one of them where you could sense kind of a push pull for Murphy, just of just a little tiny bit between what amori wants. And his feeling, his beginning to feel some genuine ties to these people. And, yes. and one of them was that moment at the very end when you watch it dawn on him that she also did not tell him the whole truth and that he was being conned. Like he has a little bit of a moment where you're not quite sure how he's going to react. And he seems a little bit not too pleased that she, you know, played the scam. Until he sort of realized, like then when he says like, okay, who is this guy? and when he realizes why she did it they got like they got what they wanted they got a person that they can do these experiments on they feel a little better about it most importantly i'm not the one in that chamber so who the fuck cares but he has but i think before she explains like this is why i did it you know yeah. when he thinks did you did you just turn over an innocent person for abby and you know and clark to kill them and you see that he's got a moment where he seems conflicted about that yeah
0: he seems taken aback and he seems a little conflicted about like am
1: i okay with this if this guy is totally innocent Yes,
0: yes yes
1: yeah and then the other one of those moments is the fact that i think we're meant to believe when he comes looking for clark and their conversation is aborted because the window is smashed in and there's somebody in the kitchen. I I think we're meant to believe that he genuinely was gonna like sit her down and be like when he says we look like, we need to talk I'm like hey Amori's freaking out here's what's going on like I think he was gearing up to have a real conversation I with think her so too I
0: think he was gonna he was gonna you know confront her with what Amori heard and basically be like is this true and what's and what's going on and like you know yeah you're not choosing Amori, right you know like I think he was gonna he was gonna talk to her about it.
1: Yeah, and and Clark would have said, "Of course, we're not going to choose a Mori." Like, I mean, she would, and then it would have all been fine, right? You know, because the the Clark and Murphy little sass pants friendship we got it was brief before it all went to hell, but it was so delightful, yeah. You know, so what I liked about where this kind of keeps moving Murphy's arc forward, in as an individual, you know, separate from his relationship with the Mori, is that it felt like this was this is the first time in a while that we've really seen and we gotten some little sprinklings of it before but like you know we're getting these little reminders that murphy he's a survivor he's in his own way a con artist but it isn't natural and like endemic to him the way that it is for emory yeah. like it's learned behavior for him and so it would never i don't think that it occurs to him I don't know, like, I, he, I think he doesn't want to be playing everybody all the time. I would you know? agree, and I would agree. I think there's a part of him that likes the idea that, you know, he's over in the house cooking everybody dinner, and and he likes Abby, and he had that real profound moment of, of kind of bonding with Raven and Luna, and feeling like he's part of the team.
0: Well, and also, if you look at the way, if you look at the way that he reacted when Imori told him, we're leaving, you know, his, his immediate, yeah he's not like, oh, okay, well, let's go. He's like, wait, no, hang on, what, why? He, he reacts by resisting. And then, like you said, when Amori explains to him what's happening, he doesn't immediately start packing up to go with her. He goes to talk to Clark.
1: Yeah, he's like, give me all the information. I'll take care of it.
0: Right. Like, so So he's got a deeper affiliation now with them than than mere convenience. And he's not willing to just right. of, like drop it and sacrifice that at a moment's notice. You know, Amori is obviously his priority. But I think there's, you know... Right. And, it, and it's interesting because I think... The first time I watched that reveal, like, and that reveal was amazing. It was so good. Oh, yeah. And I did not see that coming at all. No. I was like, what? Like, I was so, it was so exciting. And I was so excited about it. I was just kind of like, oh, my God, you know, like, I was so, like, like these two, you know, con artists, people together. But the second time I watched it, I realized, like, I think there are a lot of, like, that, that. This episode, I think, sows some seeds of conflict between Murphy and Amori that haven't been there before. Because, yeah, they maybe they maybe want different things, although I don't know. It's like it's hard to tell if Amori really doesn't want to be in the group or she just doesn't trust them. But they're in different places like Murphy's default seems to be a little bit closer to let's stay here. Let's work this out with these people and hers is like cut and run you know as fast as possible and it makes like and again you know it makes total sense like what we learned about amori this week oh yeah completely explains that but it i think you know it is interesting and i do think i agree with you like the second time i watched that reveal there's definite hesitation and conflict for murphy it's almost like after she explains her reasoning there's he even pauses then like after she explains why she did there's like a little bit of a pause and then he kind of half smiles and then he says that's a survivor move. Like so it kind of almost conveying the fact that he he kind of decided to react that way, you know, like Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um so which I think is really interesting for again, like I think yeah. for Murphy's arc specifically on his own but then also for Murphy and Amori together and for Amori, you know, like I think that that uh, could come back in interesting ways.
1: I wonder a little bit whether we're going to end up in a situation because one of the Murphy Amori moments that we have not seen yet in the show that's from the trailer is Murphy's is about to do something dangerous and she says please survive like please don't die or whatever I forget what her exact words are so I think we're headed towards something that might end up being like not precisely a rift but a situation where he's forced to choose between what Clark and like Abby Raven everybody but I feel like maybe particularly Clark are asking him to do versus what Amore is asking him to do And he finds a way to choose to stay with his people and has to kind of convince her that that's also what's good for them. Yeah. And maybe it's connected to the nightblood solution. Uh, Maybe he volunteers to be exposed, you know, after they test the medication on the grounder guy. Like, I don't don't know what the thing is going to be, but I feel like he's going to do something that she thinks is unnecessarily dangerous Because she's still on team, let's just grab some cans of food and go hole up in your bunker for five years and ignore everybody else forever. And I think the deeper he gets into watching how hard everyone around him is working to try to find a solution, the more genuinely, emotionally invested he is in also finding that solution.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. He's
1: beginning to be a person who actively wants to be part of the solution to help save the world. And in his own very, like, in-character Murphy way. But, like, I think the gap between Mori genuinely not giving any fucks about what happens to anyone else that isn't her and Murphy. Versus Murphy wants to make sure Raven's okay. Yeah. You know, like, Murphy wants... Bellamy and the other hundred to be okay like like he's he's taken risks for all of them you know since he kind of rejoins the group at the end of season three so I'm just interested in that moment from the trailer when we get it what's it gonna be what's the choice that he makes that she clearly seems to be kind of in in disagreement with putting himself at risk or putting both of them at risk in some way for these people that she still as we saw like she's still like does not care. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's, and it's interesting just sort of particularly in, in the, the scenes with her and Clark were so dynamic and fun to watch just because she's very, you know, not just when you rewatch it and you realize like, okay, she's, you know, she's playing her, but just the, like the way that everything that she says to Clark, is sort of working on two different levels. So, you know, like, when she tells her, you're just like your mother, you'll do anything to save your people, she plays it off in a way where Clark can kind of be like, uh, thank you, but, like, Amori <laughs> does not, like, that's not a compliment. You know, like, yeah. like Amori means, like, the Griffin women are ruthless fucking bitches. Because yeah. Because that's how she sees them. <laughs> right. And from Amori's point of view, like, that perspective makes perfect sense.
0: Well, and another thing that I thought was really interesting in the, in the conversation that she and Clark have in the house... Is I noticed the second time when I was paying more attention that Amori sort of emphasized talking about choice um, when she's talking to Clark. You know, she was like, I, you know, I didn't have a choice. You know, I grew up, I had to steal, I had to kill, like I didn't have a choice. I thought that was really, really interesting the way that she kind of like kept emphasizing I didn't have a choice, given the conversation that she overheard between Abby and Clark was about choice. Like yeah. what she overheard Abby Clark say was Clark saying we don't have a choice and Abby saying no, we have to make a choice. And, and you know, and I sort of felt like that might be another instance of Amori kind of like very carefully choosing her words and sort of very subtly manipulating Clark there by kind of appealing, you know, like she knows Clark sees things in terms of you do things because you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. That would sort of like appeal to Clark or like, or even like sort of subconsciously trigger Clark to start thinking about, we have to make a choice about who to put in that chamber. You know what I mean? Like, so I thought that was kind of an interesting little piece of it, perhaps.
1: Yeah. So I'm, my assumption is that she comes up with a plan to basically throw this guy under the bus, like that he really is just a random intruder. Yes. Um, And then she sort of sees an opportunity, seizes on it. Because her plan when she first gets there is bold, but she's but but her behavior with Clark is like I mean the whole walk over there I was just like you are up to something so shady like there yeah, was just yeah. like like and Mori is giving off a weird energy. Um, <laughs> there was a couple of moments, both both the choice thing later, and then also when they're walking through the woods where where she says something that really feels like very very subtly calculated to get a particular reaction out of Clark. And the one yeah. that jumped out at me on rewatch was when, when Clark's kind of like, are you okay? Like, you're acting like way weirder than normal. <laughs> and Amoria's like, oh no, I'm just I'm just upset that our mission failed. And then she kind of portentously says like, hopefully your mom will think of a new thing. And then kind yeah. of looks at Clark and you can tell she's kind of like, this is your chance to come clean with me and be like, yeah. Oh, so what my mom was just telling me was blah, blah, blah. You know, we're thinking about this. What do you think? But we don't really know. Who would it be? Because obviously all of you people, you know, like she says it in a way where she's leaving an opening and then she watches Clark not take it. And that just completely reinforces her perception that Clark is being shady as hell. And so that, so, and then, and then with the thing with the choice where it was sort of like watching the moment where she realizes like, okay, what are the... What are the things that she's saying and what are the things that she's doing to subconsciously plant in Clark's mind, Hey, here's a person who no one cares if he lives or dies because he's a total monster and like and choice and making choices, and if he doesn't die, he's gonna kill us. If he doesn't die, you know, we're all screwed. If this person doesn't die, I'm gonna you know, like yeah. I'm the commander of death. Like I'm making the you know, yeah, like yeah, all yeah. of the things that she does to to plant in Clark's brain so that then Clark feels like It was Clark's idea, which is the key to making a con work successfully, is that the mark has to feel like they thought of it. The, I mean, the, the writing and Louise's performance were so brilliant, but the, you know, the more times I watch it, the more, the more perfect every single little one of those details was of how Amori just plays Clark from the beginning and, and subtly at like each little kind of moment uses like what's the exact right thing to say or thing to do here to begin to kind of plant the seeds because Clark doesn't know that Amori knows that they're looking for an expendable human body
0: right 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 yeah
1: planting the seeds that like hey here's an expendable human body because he did terrible awful things to me and my brother you know and I want him dead and then it's like and then Clark's like hey this way we both win and Amori's like yes we do. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my big question about where this storyline goes next. So on on one level, I mean, on on the like, you know, I love Clark and Abby and I want them to be okay level, knowing that they all believe, you know, and, and Roan and Raven and Jackson and Luna and everybody, that they believe that this person is an evil human being. In a way, that removes some of the moral complexity of the decision that they had to make. Not all of it, obviously, you know, because Clark says even for somebody like this and, and Abby is still super tormented, but it it lessens the moral weight somewhat that they feel like this is a genuinely guilty person. This is a criminal. Like, it's still a deplorable thing that they all hate having to do, but it, it removes some of that burden. So what I wonder is, is that too easy? And the next twist that's going to come up is, in some way, is it going to come out that Amori conned them, and that this was like a totally innocent, random guy, and then they have to still decide, okay, well, now that we know, he really is just a dad who broke in here to steal some cans of food for his kids because he's just a hungry scavenger, but also still... He literally remains the only option for how to test the nightblood or not. Then what do they do? So I just, I wonder if this show is going to let that choice that for Abby in particular and for Clark, that they have to really let it go to the full depth of choosing to sacrifice the one to save the many with absolutely no possible moral justification they could use as an out like well but he was a really bad person and if so then that means that everyone has to figure out that Amore lied to them and then how does that transform both her and Murphy's relationships with everyone else or do they permit imori and Murphy to keep this secret and how does he feel about this has become then about him watching this person suffer and him knowing that like they're the only two people who know that this guy is innocent and Murphy's the only one who might genuinely actually like be kind of conflicted about it. Yeah,
0: that. I could see it going either way. I kind of like the second version better. But I think I mean to me the idea that this guy is guilty and therefore that Remove some of the moral issues, I think that's specious i don't think that actually i don't think that actually changes the moral situation at all because he's still he's still you know a person that they're doing medical tests on potent, painful and potentially fatal without his consent, right you know we talked about like we right, thought that right. consent was going to be the issue, and I think maybe consent will still be the issue. And and I think yeah another little key of one of the things that Amori said to Clark in retrospect, you know the great thing about Amory and Clark's conversations in this episode is that they work just as well before you know the twist and after but just in completely different ways. Yeah. One of the things that yes. she said that is so much that was really chilling the second time through when I knew it was coming, is when she asked Clark if Clark has ever killed someone in revenge, and Clark says no. And Amori says, well, I guess you're better than me, because I'm going to. And, like, the chilling thing about that is twofold. Number one, she is genuinely, although she's playing Clark there, she is also telling her what she's going to do, kind of. Yeah. Number two, she's telling Clark what she's going to get Clark to do. Her plan is Mm -hmm. to get Clark to kill someone in vengeance for her, because that's Mm. really what Clark is doing when she makes that suggestion. Clark isn't saying, like, there's no justice here. It's not like they, like, yeah. they're going on Emory's yeah. word. They didn't have, this, this, this isn't like a court of law. You know, this isn't like a dispassionate judgment of guilt or something like that and then attached to an agreed upon punishment. This is Clark needing a solution to a problem, not wanting to do what they have to, she feels like they have to do to someone that she knows. And then taking the out that Amori gives her emotionally, by deciding that she'll kill two birds with one stone stone, so to speak, by killing in revenge for Imori and by doing the tests on this guy. So really, I don't think this is any morally better because he's supposedly guilty than if he weren't. And in some ways, maybe it's yeah, worse. Yeah. Um, but it just it has a kind of like plausible deniability um at a kind of level. You know, it yeah. like, it works with the logic of kind of blood mass to have blood, but in a way, you know, like mori's really sneaky about it. You know, again, she she keeps saying, This is what I'm gonna do, this is what I'm gonna do, this is what I'm gonna do, and she manages to can to sort of manipulate Clark into believing that, you know, that she's finding some kind of slightly better solution.
1: That was kind of what I what I meant. It isn't that I feel like him being them thinking he's a bad person makes the act itself any less unethical. It's that I think that it gives at least Clark, like you said, like it, it a little a little bit of a way to feel like there is something about this that is not, I think that it it, it fits, it fits slightly better into her existing moral framework, even though it's still something that she doesn't want to do. And that Abby very, very much doesn't want to do.
0: And I think, I think that she's going to be challenged on that. Like, I think there's a bunch of reasons. There's a bunch of reasons. There's a bunch of stuff that's been built in already. That makes me think that Clark is going to be challenged. Like they're all going to be challenged on that decision. But, but maybe Clark especially one of them is that already a number of times throughout the season we well throughout the season we've seen Clark we've seen people pushing back on Clark for decisions that she's made in her usual rationale of you know I have no choice I have to do this for my people so we, we saw that confrontation with Monty over the list you know there's right. like a, there was some of that in the confrontation with Roan you know so like kind of over and over again in the plot and sort of thematically one thing that we keep coming back to with Clark is that you know, or even, you know, when Clark says we have no choice and, and Abby says we have to no, we have to make a choice, you know, even Abby sort of gently pushing back on on Clark's kind of like go to, um you know, rationalization for the unilateral decisions that she makes. So I think those little, you see these little bits of things chipping away and sort of pointing out like Clark keeps framing things as her not having a choice, as her doing the only thing that she can do. When in fact, that's not really true, you know, so like she's kind of continually lying to herself about when and how, like about the choices that she's making by framing them as not being choices. And that's kind of how she's, she's been operating. And this would be another one of those cases. And so, so that's one reason why I think that we're going to see pushback. Another reason is that Luna is there. You know, Luna has always been as a character, a foil for that kind of thinking. In the episode, in Red Dawn at uh, Morning, the episode of Luna last season, like, you know, one big thing, that was that was what she did. You know, the, her conversations with Clark throughout that episode were all about Luna being a foil to that thing. You know, Luna saying, like Clark saying, you have no choice, you have to fight. And Luna saying, do you? No, you don't. You know, like, you can always choose not to.
1: You think that you do, but but that's an artificial construct that you yeah, made exactly. for yourself. It's yeah, exactly. It's a false
0: non-choice. There is always a choice. You may just, you have to recognize that what you think is not a choice is actually you you deciding that you can't accept the the risks or the outcomes of the choice you didn't take. So Luna's always been a foil on that stuff for Clark. And she's always, you know, Luna's always been against Unnecessary taking of life. You know, she has a very, very complicated relationship with her own sort of blood, and and this guy's a grounder. Like we don't know where what clan he came from, or whether he might know. You know, and so there in some of the stills that they released from next week, we see um, Ron. I think Ronan. It looks like Ronan um, and Luna fighting. So I wonder if yeah. Luna comes in, if Luna finds out what they're doing and she objects to it, she might be the kind of person mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who, who, again, like, and this is what your character does, who comes in and sort of questions the kind of, like, fundamental basis of the reasoning that brought everyone else to this moment and sort of points out, like, all the places where, like, these are the choices that you made and these are the compromises that you're making. These are the moral choices you're making and kind of pushes back on them. And, you know, Ron, of course, is the kind of person who's like, whatever the fuck we have to do to live. Like, I don't care. So I think that there's a kind of, like, thematic buildup um, and character arc for Clark where it would make sense for that stuff to sort of come up again. And then there's Luna, who's a character there, who's going to be a character who will push back on that kind of choice. And it'll be really, really interesting to see if and when Mori comes clean or or how watching that conflict play out affects Murphy. Right, right if sort of watching the the fight or the debate between Luna and and the other and the other people in that room. I mean, like, and we don't know. Might, maybe even Miller. You know, like there there are other people there who are not a party to this decision before it was made, who might have objections to it. So it'll be interesting to see if it is Mur- if Murphy, you know, if Murray doesn't come clean, which I can't, I can see her not.
1: I don't think she would. Yeah,
0: but it'll be interesting to watch. Murphy is kind of in the middle, so yeah. And oh, that was another thing I was going to say about Amori this episode, which I really loved. Like, I always, you know, we've talked about this before. I, I always love the foil characters, you know? Like, I love Luna because she's a yes. perfect foil. And I think Emory is also, in this episode with that reveal, a perfect foil. It, it, to Clark and to everybody else, because, you know, and she's kind of a foil on the opposite end of the spectrum from Luna, where where Clark is all about, like, it's all about saving everyone, save everyone, save everyone, you know? And everyone is buying into that to, to different degrees. So it's, it's great to have a character like Amori who's like, fuck that, I'm saving me like none of this yeah, like yeah. save everybody crap i don't care about everybody i don't even like i do not grant any part of the logic that says that we have that i have an obligation to anyone else but me and the one or two people like basically one person to whom i feel affiliated i'm going to do what's best for me period the end so i think it's really interesting to have her have someone in that position as a foil to this conversation as well you know if if what's happening on science island is we're sort of building up to this big moral confrontation over what exactly it, like where is the line when like human life is at stake where is the moral line how do you draw it you know it's great to have both Luna and Amori in the room
1: yeah yeah I'm really um just from looking at the pictures from next week I'm really excited about what's going to go down when like everybody is in the same room
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: I think that Luna and Amori as sort of like, and, and Roan too, like really I think all three of the grounder characters who all sort of enter into the story in different kind of perspectives coming out of different ways and the way that this very Sky Crew thing that's happening, you know, like the Sky mm-hmm. Crew technology, like they're, they're putting so much trust in in the idea that this thing that they all kind of still imperfectly understand will have any impact at all. And, you know, and Luna appears to have decided to be sort of willing to take this on faith and Roan is just sort of like a pure pragmatist who is looking out for his people enough he's he's convinced at this point that like he needs to do what he needs to do to keep his people alive you know and the like i said is just purely out for herself and then murphy mostly but i think i think murphy i could see him sacrificing himself for her i don't think she would do it for yeah,
0: him yeah yeah
1: i think if it came down to it and she had to choose between her own neck and Murphy i think that she would just kind of nope on out of there and assume that he would understand and she might feel conflicted about it but she would pack her bag and she'd go and and so i so yeah so i feel like having all of them in the same room together and and all of the different sort of factors playing into the increased urgency you know now they know like the death wave is coming in 10 days like they don't you know like they don't have two months of luxury to hang out and eat apples and take showers They have to decide what they're going to do with this guy and they have to decide now and they have to be as ruthless as they need to be to make it work or this was all for nothing. And so like, where does everybody land, you know, on those questions Um, and which I feel like is is maybe a good transition to sort of talking a little bit more about the Abby side of the Mm -hmm. storyline. Because that to me was something I mean, you know, like I'm I'm a week for an Abby Griffin medical ethics story. Like, <laughs> like give me all of it. Um but I do, you know, I really feel like like when you were talking before about the the choice thing about, you know, like characters who question Clark's implicit belief that there are situations where she does something because there is only one option and the people who remind her there is always two options you just really didn't like one of them mm-hmm. and so you convinced yourself that there was just the one and and one of the things that i've always really loved about abby is that from the pilot that's been an argument that we hear her having over and over again with Kane. One of the first exchanges that they have, when he says, like, I'm sorry, I have to arrest you, you left me no choice and she says, We always have a choice. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Clark and Kane have a very similar, I think, mindset, particularly Ark Kane, and we can get we'll talk more about Arc Kane and Ground Kane and they're violent clashing in this episode when we get to <laughs> the second half of the podcast um but but abby is one of those characters who is always convinced that there are more options on the table you know like she's so like we hear her like over and over again in all of these different circumstances you know like there has to be another way we always have a choice like there's all, like she she wants to believe you know i think i think where where clark's perception is limited it it can be because clark has kind of tunnel vision. And I think that for Abby where her perspective can be limited is that she is always assuming that she can kind of game the system and figure out a way that no one else has figured out yet. And sometimes it leads her to make incredibly reckless choices because she's kind of like throwing Hail Marys. So she, you know, so she and Clark are in this position of like okay, our choices basically are like either we don't do anything and everyone dies or I do this thing that is totally deplorable and Clark's like yeah so you don't have a choice and Abby's like (laughs) no I have like there are two choices and I have to weigh them and so we hit the first thing that she tells Clark about it is like Jackson and I took this off the table she's hunting for another solution because she's like I'm not gonna do this thing like I understand that it's an option I'm not willing to consider it and you know, and kind of gets persuaded into it. Clark kind of takes off of Abby's shoulders, or, or I guess really sort of, and does, but Clark presents it, removes from Abby the burden of having to pick who the person is, having to determine which human being's life is expendable, because Clark arrives with, like, a red shirt already tied up, and then, like, hey, I have a, I have a body for you. Yeah, you know? and
0: Clark's, Clark's speech to Abby at the end of the episode was another one that I found, like, really chilling the second time around, You know, and and especially because, like, her reasoning, when Abby's hesitating, then Clark sort of, like, gives her, like, that fucked-up pep talk, you know? Like, very, very Mm -hmm. Clark pep talk. But I just, I was just thinking about, I was thinking about Mount Weather Parallels, you know, since they brought back a kind of random grounder whom they've conveniently dehumanized by labeling him this horrible monster. And I just remember, like, watching the second time, you know, listening to Clark and thinking, like, this sounds like the reasoning that the first... Mount Weather people who, who did a blood transplant might have given. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It has that kind of like quality.
1: We, the audience, when we find out what they're doing to the grounders, believe that it's wrong because we have met grounders and we have seen them as human beings. Mm-hmm. But the people in Mount Weather have not or or like many of them have it. You know, like there's Maya and the sort of more kind of like renegade, you know, group. But a lot of the people who are sort of quietly benefiting from those medical resources even if they do know, they kind of don't care because they don't, like, they haven't had the experience of seeing these people as fully actualized human beings. And so I think that one of the things that's really very, like, super chilling about the kind of Amori twist at the end is that now we, the audience, know that everything that that guy was trying to say about, like, the worst thing he did, he did was smash a window to steal some
0: food. Well, he did, he did attack Amori. Yeah, he did Takamori, yeah. So there's that. But but like still, I mean I, obviously that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like a like a desperate
1: hunger. Yeah, yeah, guy. exactly. Yeah, yeah. He was a, a person in desperate straits as opposed to being like an actively bad human. Right, being. right,
0: right, right.
1: I think that Clark's ability to sort of emotionally distance herself and and that yeah, and and her reasoning being like, you know, look, we don't like it. But this is how we have to survive. It really did feel like shades of the same kind of messaging. And what it also made me think of, because we did, you know, again bouncing ahead to the to the Kane section, when Kane tells Abby what we know from the trailer that Abby then later tells to Raven. I'm guessing probably in the next episode, and probably about the same grounder dude. First we have to survive, and then we find our humanity again. That is the entire ethos of how Kane and Jaha made decisions on the art. Yeah. Arc. Yeah. That's the cosmic Adam and Eve thing. That's the culling. That's like every single thing that they did that felt heartless or overly draconian or punitive. Like that's why you float people for the tiniest little crimes. That's why you lock up prisoners. That's why you, everyone can only have one child. And and when Jaha is talking to Clark in, I can't remember if it's 402 or 403, three. Um, when he talks about, like, the decisions that you make sort of whittle you down piece by piece, you know, like, they all started off as people who believed that they had their best interests at heart. And we even see that with Dante Wallace in Mount Weather. He's not as easy to sort of immediately categorize as a villain as Cage and Dr. Singh are, because when we first meet him, he's kind of trying to look for a solution that where he can justify to himself that he is not... A bad person and we watch him over the course of season two reach a point where he's kind of like fuck it fine kill them all
0: right and he's still and again like and he feels bad about it you know to use clark's like right he doesn't like it to use clark's parlance but he does it anyway and the, this, this is what it sort of comes down to if you don't like it but you do it anyway does it matter whether you liked it or not Does it really matter if you do it? Does it really matter how you felt about it? You know, like that doesn't actually make a difference. The effect
1: is the same. Yeah, the guy, like the people, are still dead. Yeah, and and you still are a person who made that choice. Yep, and that's why what I loved so much about that beautiful conversation between Kane and Abby at the end. There was only, I think, she only had like this couple of scenes. But all the Abby content was just really like was so great because we hear her sort of explaining to Clark her reasons for why this isn't an option that she's considering sort of planting the seeds in Clark's mind for like, okay, but this is the fix. This is it. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. Mm -hmm. You found it. This is the thing that's going to save us. Let's just find a way to make it happen. And then you kind of contrast the fact that this is this all is much more straightforward for Clark than it is for Abby. Yeah. When Clark tells her, if you do this, we survive. It's as simple as that. And she kind of smiles and it's like, no, your mother is still a doctor who has intentionally taken a human life. It's actually not simple at all for Abby. And so this choice that she's like, so she's made the choice. Like, she's like, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to do it, you know? And she does it herself. Like, she doesn't make Jackson put in the needle. Like, she does it herself. Like, she owns the choice that she made. But she does it after having this just incredibly naked conversation with Kane about the choice that you make to take a life and the circumstances under which you do it. And the reason that I love, I think one of the things I love about that scene is that all of the different facets of... Cain really kind of came into play in this episode in some huge ways including I think our really starkest kind of reminder really I think since the underground scene in season 2 of the weight of the person that he used to be and the choices that he made before on the arc like how those things continue to weigh on Cain but that's what makes him the person that she can ask this mm-hmm. of like so he, and he doesn't he doesn't give her any easy answers he doesn't like reassure her he doesn't tell her no of course not you're gonna like it's simple you're gonna save us this is how we're gonna save humanity you found a solution great do it she says am I a murderer and he's like I cannot answer that question for you right 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 like I have faith that you'll do the right thing because I have faith in the person that you are you know it's it's a similar thing to the relationship between Clark and Bellamy where it's like if you come to me and you say I did a thing that was terrible and I'm torturing myself about it what I'm gonna say back to you is I believe that you believed that in that moment, that was the right choice to make. And so when I offer you absolution for that, it's not to say like, don't worry, you're fine. It's to say like, I'm here to support you in the decision that you made, because I have faith in the way that you make decisions.
0: Right. And I and I and I have faith that in the core of you is good. You know, like whatever happens, yeah, exactly whatever, what's the the core of you is good, and I have faith in and love for that core of you, regardless of what you've done in the interim, There's that yeah, it's you know sort of like unconditional in that sense,
1: exactly, yeah with without ever minimizing the fact that the thing that you did may weigh on you forever, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and that's just sort of the way life works right. and and so you know, for Kane, I think Abby like Abby's always been. The person who is pushing him to do better, pushing him to be a better man, pushing him to make better choices, while he was very much in this mindset of, like, look, I don't like it either, but this is what we have to do to survive. We gotta float these people. We gotta pull this lever. We gotta cull 300 bodies. Look, I don't like it either, but we didn't have a choice. And the interesting kind of contrast that we're getting with leadership parallels between Kane and Jaha. And the way that, you know, Clark kind of talking in this scene that she had a couple episodes ago where she's talking to Jasper about that all along she kind of always thought Jaha was, like, the worst of the worst of, like, arc society. And that potentially she's come to a place where she's willing to consider, like, maybe that ruthlessness was what we needed. Like, maybe that's why, like, that's how you kept people in line that insistence that sometimes you just straight up don't have a choice and you got to do what you got to do to survive. And, and that's a comforting narrative that you tell yourself where you're like, well, I didn't have an option. Like I didn't, like there wasn't another choice, you know? And what I liked about that, um, about Abby's whole arc in this episode was that we saw she does not let herself off the hook for the choice that she made. She calls it by name. She, understands in her heart that on a brand that this is a transformative choice for her as a human being like this is a thing that she has never done before she has never taken a life she has never this is something that she never thought she'd have to do this is like anathema to who she is this is the opposite of everything that she stands for and so she's having to weigh those things side by side and then we get to hear her kind of weigh those options out loud and even when she's doing it like we're watching like the difference between how she looks and reacts in that moment and how Clark looks and reacts in that moment they're on the same team like they're united in like they have made the same choice like they've you know at the end of the road but they got there in some very different ways because like Abby can't remove herself and get any distance from the fact that the thing that she is doing feels like murder to her and she's doing it like she made that choice like she weighed the options and this was the one that she picked but she isn't giving herself the comfort of like well but i didn't have a choice the running thread kind of in in really all of these storylines between the places where you do and don't have a choice to save somebody's life and and how different characters react to that whether it's the choice to take a life whether it's attempting to save a life and failing you know, whether it's having an opportunity to save a life and not taking it because there's another there's more lives to save somewhere else, you know, like Harper faces it, Bellamy faces it, Kane faces it, and Maury, Clark like everyone is in, in some situation where somebody dies or somebody might die because of a choice you made either to kill them or to save them and all of the different ways that everybody bumps up against that, like the, the thematic thread running through it was like so clean, but I really liked that. It gave us both of the Griffins, like both totally united and in a completely different realm from each other in terms of how they arrived at this decision. It was very into the, let's just like letting her really delve into you know, who am I as a person having done this? And then, so then I think that we're going to get to see, um, you know, she would be the person I think who would be the most shattered if the truth came out, if she ever realized this was a totally innocent person um, that they were somehow sort of manipulated. Like, I think, I mean, she's already like deeply conflicted about yeah, it. And yeah, I yeah. think that would...
0: That would be absolutely devastating. Yeah.
1: Then she's got no... Nowhere to hide from the fact that it's like, no, you killed an innocent person.
0: Right. But it also, I mean, it gives her an additional impetus to try to find a way to cure him, theoretically, you know, in the sense that, like, now she's kind of in that, like, quintessential Abby situation of, you know, save the person in front of you. And then in this case, like, saving the person in front of you will, will also save everyone else because this is, you know, the person in front of you has the problem that you have to solve. So that would be kind of interesting, maybe, I mean, I, I don't know if they'll go that way, but that would be an interesting kind of, like, way to tie all that together. I feel like I could definitely
1: see that being where where her arc goes next is, like, the motivation that she has all, that she's had all along, you know, fighting to save everybody, to find a, you know, like, is her, because we, we did also get some, you know, we got a little bit of, like, um her her hands shaking, like very little subtle sort of touch point reminders that she's still
0: Clark asking her about it and her kind of like brushing it off.
1: Yeah, sort of dismissing like, no 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, fine. Um so we got those very sort of delicate little check-ins with the fact that like Abby is not well. And and so what I wonder is if how that's gonna kind of erupt is are we gonna see Abby pushing herself to the brink like she's been trying to keep Raven from doing to find a solution that not just like saves everybody but also is the only way that she has left to feel like she kind of can redeem herself like if this guy doesn't die she's not a murderer yeah yeah
0: yeah, exactly
1: if she saves this guy's life not only has she saved humanity saved everybody that she cares about found the thing that was you know the reason that they came there in the first place and saved the whole entire like human race but also the um the torture that she's going to, you know, the, putting on herself for having had to do this thing is alleviated if she can save him. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's like if she saves, if she saves him, she saves humanity and she saves her own soul. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so I feel like that's the kind of thing that could
1: prompt her to push herself way back past the bounds of what her brain and her body can actually handle. And maybe that's how she ends up crossing a line where everyone else finally realizes that she also is sick.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she's pushing so
1: hard. Yeah, the, because she like she's going to reach a point of desperation, like not just to save everybody because they're on the clock, but also because like she's sort of driven by this like not, you know, if there's a way for her to not be a person who had to take a life.
0: Right. And and Abby, I think we've seen like this. I think her conversation with Kane shows this, you know, her hesitation shows this that Abby, unlike Kane and Clark, is not like her, she's not fundamentally motivated by the, the kind of big picture conceptual side of things, exactly. you know, she's, yeah. she, she's sort of more fundamentally motivated by the personal, by the person in front of her, by, you know, so not, not that she doesn't want to save everyone, but I just think like, you know, it's just like, we've talked about sort of Kane Clark parallels and Abby Bellamy parallels. Like she just, you know, the, the kind of big picture long-term thing is less compelling for Abby than the, the, the lives that are at risk or at stake right now. You know, so it just kind of, like, will light an extra fire in her.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that she's, because she's looking at a suffering human person. Exactly.
0: Yes, yes. Which is, like, her ultimate, her ultimate motivator, besides Clark, you know, is, like, the suffering person in front of her.
1: And, and she's having to do things that are making his suffering worse for reasons that are still abstract to her. Even, like, even though they are important, they're still abstractions in a way that, you know, the person in front of her is a real human life.